Welcome to another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. If you guys are watching from YouTube, welcome. I'm David Hoffman. This is my little aroma slash room, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I got a John Force car sitting over here. I was able to interview him a couple months ago, I believe. Jimmy Johnson, as you guys know, I was able to interview him uh, during Laguna Seca weekend. James Hinchcliffe, Mayor of Hinchtown himself. Uh, Three-time special guest, a fourth time interviewing him at Laguna Seca a couple, actually two weeks ago. And uh, Scott Pruitt there, interviewed him, Bobby Allison, Boris said to the legend himself, road course legends, Mario Andretti, and of course some other cars back here. There's more cars over there, Simon Pagano car over there too. Um, you know, just a couple, I like to always buy a couple, not a couple, probably every single guy that I interview. Still waiting for a Stingray Rob car to come out. Hopefully when he gets into IndyCar, he'll have a car that gets produced into a diecast. Uh, if you're watching Stingray, you've been doing great this season. Can't wait to see what's next. Um, but yeah, I'm David Hoffman. If you guys don't know, I'm a college student and uh, at Liberty University and just trying to make a living and going to try and see if, you know, we can break into the IndyCar business. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it was great to go to Laguna Seca two weeks ago and be able to talk to some people and get to know a couple people and you know, it was a great experience overall, and you know, there will be a recap video coming up here next week. I believe next Wednesday I'll have that out where I'm recapping the whole Laguna Seca weekend, and then, you know, there's going to be videos, interviews, exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else but here. Now, Alex Pillow finished fourth in the race at Long Beach. Colton Hurdle won. We'll get to him here in a, in a little bit, but Pillow finished fourth in the race. Finished 62 points over Pato Award, who had some issues with Ed Jones, which we'll get to as well. Joseph Newgarden ended up 38 points behind in second. It was pretty much Polo's race from the beginning. If he, As long as he ran a conservative, smart race, he was going to win the championship. And as soon as Pato Award ran into trouble and couldn't continue on for a while, then we all kind of knew that, yeah, that it's Alex Pillow's to pretty much it's locked up. And Pillow ran an impressive race. It was really cool to see him. Like, I feel like it was a maturity type of race where he's used to on the button, pushing as much as he can, but in at Long Beach, you had to just be more conservative and kind of harness back that drive of wanting to get that next position. Because I know he when he was running behind Hinchcliffe for a lot of, like, the first part of the race, there were times, I'm sure, that he had a faster car, and he just laid back, kept it smart, safe, and just kept the car clean. Kept all the tires on it, no damage, no whatsoever, and he just brought it home. And for Pillow, it's been a heck of a season. Now, how impressive was Alex Pillow's championship drive all of 2021? It was really, really strong, and one of the most incredible ones that I've seen in quite some time. He notched three wins, and the fact that Chip Ganassi, who's known for the I Like Winners uh, motto at Chip Ganassi Racing, it was really interesting because we didn't know a whole lot about Alex Pillow coming into this year. We knew last year he had some flashes with Dale Coyne Racing with Team Go. He had a he had a podium at Road America, topped that off with a second race, of, I believe finishing eighth or something like that. And he ran some good races last year, but obviously when you're qualifying mid-pack, which is what he ended up qualifying a lot of the time during the race, there's a lot more trouble, which he ended up getting involved in a couple wrecks, or the car just wasn't just wasn't handling that well, especially in that dirty air. And I remember when the the announcement came out that Alex Pillow is going to race for Chip Ganassi Racing in the 10 car. You're like, well, where'd that come from? Like, I, that's the last driver that I really expected. 
but he earned it. And the fact that you erase those questions week one of the season in Barber Motorsports Park, where you go out, win the race, dominate the race, and then the rest of the season, you're no worse than third in points. And that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of moxie. And I'm sure Scott Dixon, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Kanaan, Marcus Erickson, all the guys there at Chip Ganassi Racing, I'm sure they played such a pivotal role in that. And I think it's cool just the fact that drivers like Alex Polo, even though he's young, I've heard it all over the paddock, just how confident he is, but also just mature and just, just like, he's going to put his head down. He's going to go out there and drive. He's going to do the best of his ability, and it showed all season long. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the stats, like 12 top 10s, 10 top 5s, and 16 races, that's pretty incredible in itself. And for Alex Polo, it's a great accomplishment, and the fact that we get to see that 10 car competitive again, it's been a while since we've seen the 10 car really up front and competing for championships, really giving Scott Dixon like a run for his money every week. And Dixon even said it was kind of a mass season, which I'm sure a lot of that was because Polo was just ascending it every single week and really stepping up his game and I just believe for Alex Pillow that is a monumental moment and I just can't wait to see how guys like Marcus Erickson who had a great season two wins on the season and fifth in points I believe and you know Dixon he's gonna have another championship we all can kind of sense that I know the youth movement with award and Pillow and VK they're all really starting to move in but let's pump the brakes on that a little bit we know Dixon's gonna be there at the end every single year and I think it's just great for the sport overall and for Polo. It's going to be one of many championships. Now we can't talk about Long Beach without Colton Herta, taco man himself. You know he had some tacos after the race, as you can see with this graphic here. From Twitter, Connor Daly was out eating tacos with Herta after the race. So congrats to Herta on the win. But you're probably wondering, how in the world did Herta go from 14th to 5th? Like, on a street course, that's an insurmountable feat. And the fact that he did it not only, like, over time of the race, he did it within 15 laps. He went from 14th to 5th within 15 laps on a street race where that's pretty tight corners. You're not going to be able to get around guys, as, like, as easy. And, like, it just shows us the, the will to drive that car as well as he has. And, you know, he had... First and second practice wrapped up. Finished first in both of those. And you thought, all right, this is going to be a shoe-in for Herta. He's just going to run away with it in qualifying. But it wasn't difficult. It wasn't easy. And the fact that Herta, he ended up hitting the wall in qualifying, just missed the setup a little bit too, and ended up qualifying 14th. And you're like, all right, this is going to be a pretty... You're not sure how he's going to be able to get up there. And then Herta all of a sudden just storms up the field. And I remember reading an article on motorsport.com how he was even surprised himself about just how he was able to get up there that quick. Like, I remember something like he had mentioned he was shocked when he's like, well, I'm fifth, you know, that kind of thing. And um, you knew he had a great car all, all weekend long, and just a matter of being patient, which he has learned a lot, This even this whole season. I mean, we look back at Nashville, back on that street course, and where he was as patient as he could, and then it just ran out, and then he ended up stuffing in the tire barrier as he was trying to track down Marcus Erickson, and... He's learned a lot throughout the course of the season, and for Herta, that's an incredible win, and, uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. He's going to win everywhere at this point, and I think it's just, you know, incredible to see how he's been able to do in the series, and I think the only problem is how how is Andretti Autosport going to go from here? And, you know, we know they had their issues last season, especially with 
the car and everything and just not being up to snuff. And this season was a little bit better. Herta, I believe, had two or three wins. Three wins, I believe. And the, obviously the, the guys underneath him, like Rossi, still on a two-plus year winless drought. Hunter Ray hasn't gotten anything in two years. Hinchcliffe just couldn't. He didn't have the right car. It just did not work at all. Um, and I hope that going into next season, Andretti Autosport's able to figure it out because I feel like, especially with a guy like Roman Grosjean coming in next year, that's going to be a big help. And I believe that, you know, Andretti Autosport, they're not there yet, but it's just always promising every time Herda's up there competing for wins. And, and I get their time is going to come back again. And we'll be seeing Rossi, Herda, Grosjean, and who knows who's going to be in the number 29 car. But, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun watching them next season and going forward. Now, I'm not someone that's going to really call out a driver or say, you did something dumb, you shouldn't have done this, I'm not going to be a keyboard warrior, whatever whatever you want to call it these days. Twitter warrior. Man, I hate Twitter sometimes with that. But I, at what Ed Jones did on lap one in the hairpin, the literally the tightest, slowest corner in on the IndyCar schedule, the fact that he ended up just sending it into the corner trying to get under Hinchcliffe took out Pato Award basically ruined any chance that Award had on the championship I'm sorry that just wasn't a smart move that was one of the dumbest moves that I've ever seen and you know for Award you hate it for him because I know it wasn't the best qualifying effort for him and I, they had some struggles throughout the course of the weekend but they were able to bring it back and you kind of felt that they were going to be able to compete which is what they always do every week and at the end of the day, it just wasn't meant to be for a ward, and I know he's dejected, but you're probably wondering how do they bounce back after this, and I think the main thing going into 2022 is they now have the continuity. You know, last year, Askew was in the seven car, and now you have, Gro not Grosjean, yeah, Felix Rosenquist, had to think about that for a second, starting to get all my, you know, all my foreign drivers kind of confused, but, you know, you have guys like Felix Rosenquist, who he didn't have the best the best of seasons, and he had some you know had to skip out on a race because of I believe he was in concussion protocol after that Detroit Belle Isle wreck, and and for a ward I think he needs that continuity to be able to have a guy next to him or in a running mate that they're able to elevate each other, and I think with going back next year like it's going to be a heck of a lot different with being able to have that relationship continuing to mold that and. You know, having a guy like Rosenquist there who's won races and has been capable of winning races in IndyCar, I think that's going to be great. And they seem to already have a great relationship. And I remember, as I believe I heard it on a podcast a couple of months ago, uh, James Hinchcliffe was talking to dinner with racers. And I know he had mentioned about just how you, when you have a teammate that's, I guess in air quotes, better than you, or could compete to be better than you, to dethrone you as the top guy at a team. I know drivers love that because in that aspect, it pushes you to go that extra mile. And then if that driver goes above, you can push even more. And a lot of guys feel that way, and I'm sure Award loves that competition. And then on the flip side, you got his team, his race car strategist, Taylor Kyle. Uh, they really seem to work together well. And when you look at the stats just with Award this season, three poles and two wins, and the fact that his first ever win in IndyCar wound up being 
at Texas Motor Speedway of all things, that shows a lot about just the fiery nature and the fact that he's able to adapt to something like that so quickly, where guys like Graham Rahal and Scott Dixon got out-dueled by him in that race. That says a lot about him, and with team strategist Taylor Kyle, I think it kind of gives award. it kind of, he's able to be his fiery self, like he's able to do that, but he's also able to, Kyle's able to bring award back in, kind of, all right, you know, like, just stay calm, and I think you notice that throughout the course of the year, where award was able to kind of harness that emotion and make it into something incredible and i still remember that with uh, i believe is the detroit race two where award ended up chasing down newgarden i think he came from like sixth or fifth hall and butt all the way up to get newgarden the fact that he's able to do that that says a lot about just the fire within him and one of the toughest street circuits on the schedule and you know it just says a lot and i believe that award He's going to take this with a grain of salt. He's or he's going to shut down any type of negativity. And I know Ward's going to come out firing. And I won't be surprised if he ended up coming into the season and firing off one or two wins and really solidify the fact that, hey, I belong here. And, hey, I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. And McLaren, Arrow McLaren is going to be here for a long time. And they're only going to get better. So we better watch out for Arrow McLaren SP. Yes, of course there's beef in IndyCar. Who are who we kidding? There's always going to be beef out on the track. A lot of, like, angry drivers, per se, especially on tight circuits like Long Beach. And we had to see that with Oliver Askew, Connor Daly, going into Turn 9 on lap 62. I don't know what happened before then, but all we know is Askew was a little mad, and he ended up overdriving the corner making sure that Daly wasn't able to make the corner, so Daly had to go off into the run-out zone, run-off zone, and the only problem was Askew ended up running his car into the tire barrier, bringing out the caution, and is it fair that Daly called him out? As we can see on that tweet, Daly, he later tweeted out the, the goal when you try and wreck someone is don't wreck yourself in the process at Oliver Askew. Yeah, I don't blame Connor at all for calling him out. I feel like any competitor inside of you, if you get run off into something like that i'd do the same thing <laughs> i'm sure he daily has a lot more controlled emotion in that kind of situation than what most of us would have but at the same time if askew wouldn't have run into the tire barrier to begin with would daily have tweeted that out like if askew would have completed that without screwing himself over it probably would have been a different outcome. Maybe would have heard something from Daly post-race, but I never really was able to find a quote where Daly commented about it, and I know Askew took the high road, didn't say anything about it, at least Twitter, publicly, whatever. And as is one of those things where if Daly happened to... If it would have happened a little bit different, I feel like Daly wouldn't have called out Askew, but I'm sure they'll be fine within a week or two. They'll go out, eat some tacos, drink a beer, or something like that. But, you know, that's just one of those things where... Ask you if you would have completed it, it probably would have been a little bit of a different story. We would like to formally say here at Behind the Catch Fence, operation of one person, me, David Hoffman, we would like to formally congratulate Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske for winning Rookie of the Year in the IndyCar Series. Man, what an incredible season for him. I know he wanted a couple races to go differently. Um, from coming over from supercars at 56 wins, couple championships there, and there's a lot of unknown about McLaughlin. And we know Penske, he has an eye for talent like no other. And the fact that he was able to 
compete so well, especially in a series where these are completely different cars. And I know when I've talked to other drivers before about supercars versus IndyCar, it's just like, it's like you're driving a stock car almost for supercars. And the fact that uh, McLaughlin was able to come over and wind up doing so well. And one of his first big moments was when he was able to get a podium at Texas Motor Speedway in the first race, which that's an incredible feat for a guy that's only run on road courses and has never done an oval. And I think it was really cool the fact that when McLaughlin was out there, especially at the Indy 500, it was so cool just to kind of see his his tweets and just his raw emotion of, I love oval racing. And he said it multiple times. And that bodes well for guys that are coming over from different series, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR, whatever it is. Like, the fact that McLaughlin, of all guys, like, from supercars with a road, road course background, is like, I love this. That says a lot about the sport. And uh, congratulations to Scott McLaughlin. And we did get to talk to Scott um, back at Laguna Seca two weeks ago. And I had to ask him, like, what's the camaraderie kind of like for IndyCar? Why it's so special? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, we race very hard, you know, some of the most intense racing I've ever had in my life. Um, and I've really had to step up in terms of my aggression. Um, but off the track, everyone's just like, you know, gets along, you know, says hello, plays golf, like whatever, you know. There's times where you get up, you know, everyone gets upset with each other and whatever. But one thing I like, I like here is there's an ego, but there's also like a point where everyone goes, forgets about it and has a beer and gets on with things. And I think that's pretty cool. I think you've got to have that. But I think at the same time, the speeds that we do on the ovals and, and open wheelers, you've got to have the trust within the, the group. And I think that's what you have here. You know, there's trust. There's, 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 you know, if something goes bad, it affects a lot of people. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting group. Uh, definitely a lot of different personalities, but, you know, everyone seems to be very nice. That's one of the big selling points that I've always thought IndyCar does so well at is the fact that the whole IndyCar community as a whole is so tight-knit and even the drivers themselves have said just even see it on Twitter Instagram how close they are and just how many of them end up hanging out throughout the week on during the weekend and I think it's just such a cool thing that the drivers even guys that come over that's one of the first things that they notice and again congratulations to Scott McLaughlin it was a heck of a season we can't wait to see what you end up doing next year in the upcoming seasons. Ah, yes, of course we couldn't talk about the Long Beach weekend without talking about the feud that happened. Warm-ups, of all things. Warm-ups. And that was Elio Castroneves versus Alexander Rossi. All we know is Rossi, I guess, came out of the pits when Elio was on a flyer during warm-ups and kind of blocked... Elio off a little bit, and of course, when Elio came back into the pits, he was furious. Uh, he had an interview with Kevin Lee on NBC's Peacock and had to throw in a, an F-bomb, which we're not used to seeing Elio do, I think, since Edmonton, and 2010 is the last time, which was a long time ago. We won't get into that, but for me, I think it's kind of a whatever. It's the last race of the season, and should Meyershank Racing and Andretti Autosport be concerned at all about this? I mean, sure, for the first couple of weeks, but both Elio and Rossi, they're both highly competitive guys, and when you put them in this position where this is a big race, Rossi not having, like, not, not winning for two years, that's going to be a lot on your mind. And also with Elio, he's trying to prove that, hey, I can still do this. Even though you win the Indy 500, he wants to be able to show every single week from now on that that wasn't a fluke. We're going to continue pushing forward. And he's trying to get his name back out there in a way in, in such of just so that 
he can kind of show that I may be a little bit older, but I'm only growing wiser, and this team is going places, and that's a racing deal. Of course, it kind of alarmed a lot of people because Elio doesn't get that mad. I think at the end of the day, those two drivers, they'll talk it out if they haven't already, and it's not going to be an issue because with Andretti Autosport and Meyer Shank Racing having that technical alliance, I'm sure that'll be fine. All the drivers, they're always going to be forgiving with that kind of thing for the most part, and I'm sure they'll get over it as soon as, you know, it's hard to not like a guy like Elio Castroneves and Rossi being his own humble self. Um, I think it's, they'll be fine. Now, of course, we can't talk about the 2021 IndyCar season without talking about Jimmy Johnson uh, and just how he was able to come over from NASCAR, seven-time NASCAR champion, and compete on a limited basis running the road and street courses in IndyCar this season for Chip Ganassi Racing. And I think it just, it shows the testimony of just, and just the will to, he's at the end of the day, doesn't matter how old he is, what his background is, he is a racer at heart. And that showed all season long. There are so many times where the races weren't good, the practices weren't good. For instance, Nashville, he ended up crashing three times, I believe. And I think it just showed, especially after that crash in Nashville during the race where NBC camera cuts to Johnson literally taking the, like a, a new nose piece and he's ready to start slapping it on the car. And I think that just shows a lot about his competitiveness and wanting to get better and just the will to get better. And I noticed that when I was able to talk to him at Laguna Seca a couple weeks ago. Yeah, of course, the, the, the results aren't there. And the points, of course, aren't going to be there. He didn't win Rookie of the Year. Who cares? Because this is one of the steepest learning curves any driver from any sport coming over to IndyCar is going to have to make. And the fact that he, had, he did it in his 40s, and he only got better every single time, and you notice that. And I think races like Portland, that's where it really started to kind of turn around, where he ended up competing with Bourdais for results. I think he ended up 17th, 16th, actually 15th thinking about it. And Portland and then Laguna Seca where he was passing guys like Hinchcliffe, and he looked competitive. And, of course, he's going to finish in the teens because there's so much to learn, so much to absorb, so much to figure out with the car. And in Long Beach, he ended up finishing 17th, which... For on the outside, that doesn't look good. But for guys like Jimmy who are trying to figure it out, and I think overall it was a great season for Jimmy. I don't care about the results. I don't care about points. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Jimmy was here to try this out, to try and figure it out, to try and get adjusted to it. And he'll have his uh, rookie test, rookie orientation at Indianapolis Motor Speedway here, I believe, next week or start of October or something like that and he and Grosjean will be there, and I think that's going to be a big telling sign. He already competed at Texas Motor Speedway in a, in a test uh, where he had Dixon and Kanan shake down the car, and he's only getting more comfortable, and I think once we see him on these ovals, which we believe he probably will, we're going to start seeing the seven-time champion that we know of because this is all new to him, and the fact that this is a brand-new, fresh start for a guy like Jimmy Johnson where... His last couple seasons in NASCAR were the greatest, and I think he needed a fresh perspective, a fresh just clean slate. And I think once we see him on a Texas or an Indy, where both places he's won multiple times in NASCAR, I think we're really going to start to see what he's made of in these Indy cars and how much just growth that he's been able to do. And we got to give our hats off to Jimmy Johnson. He did a fantastic, a fantastic job. <laughs>
As we flash back to Long Beach this past weekend, we have to look at some of the guys that impressed who had great runs and kind of flew under the radar. First, we have to talk about Takuma Sato, who finished ninth. Sato, he has been under the radar all season long, and I think the, one of the stats was he's made the most on-track passes of any IndyCar driver this year, which makes sense because he, had, he ended up having so many not-so-good qualifying results and had to try to you know, fight his way back through the field, and it wasn't the best of seasons for Sato, and we don't know if we'll ever see him in an IndyCar again. He won't be back with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Uh, there are there is a lot of rumors that he'll end up with Dale Coyne Racing. I'm not sure if that'll be a full-time basis or if that'll be just an Indy 500 ride. Regardless, Sato had a great run in Long Beach. Another guy I have to give a shout-out to who had a really great run was Jack Harvey. He ended up finishing 7th in the race at Long Beach. For him to finish his tenure at Meyershank Racing is great for him to because I know that wasn't exactly what he had planned, was to find a better opportunity, which is going to be Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan going forward. And that'll be announced here in a couple weeks, I believe. And he'll be taking over Sato's ride in the 30. Uh, not official word yet, so don't quote me on that yet. Um, but the, it was just a great overall weekend for them, Meyershank Racing. And I know when I saw Marshall Pruitt of Racer Magazine interviewing Mike Shank talking about the move with Brandon Pagino over, which we'll talk about that in another video, but just talking about the impact that Jack Harvey had on that team and the fact that they went from only a partial schedule for two years and then bringing it to a full-time schedule and how much growth they've had and how many great runs he's had. And the one that sticks out in mind is 2019 when Harvey ended up finishing on the podium in third at the Indy GP where Pagino won that. Uh, that was just a high point for the team and they had so many great runs this season and over the years and I think going forward a couple years down the road when we see at Meyershank Racing as a staple in the sport we're going to look back and say Jack Harvey helped this team go forward and elevate so much more. Now the question you guys are all asking is who disappointed in the finale? which I don't like ending on negativity, which we won't. We'll talk about some fun things here in a second. But some of the guys that, on the flip side, didn't have great runs at Long Beach included Elio Castroneves, four-time Indy 500 champion. He qualified third, which was a great, great qualifying effort for him. Led 15 laps, but at the end of the day, then, cautions just did not fall right for them. They ended up getting caught out when, I believe, Askew was at, you know, when he piled it into the tire barriers, and it kind of threw off that team from then on. Elio had to pit, he had to restart all the way in the back, and just when you're behind so many guys, it's just so hard, more dirty air, just more rubber being laid down, and just marbles all over the place, and it just didn't end up working out for Elio, who I'm sure wanted to have a better effort, but they ended up finishing 20th, and not so good for them. Lastly, I don't want to bring his name up. I don't like talking negative about him, but the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe, he has to go in this category. I hate it, but started all the way up in seventh. He was the first guy out of the fast six, and for for James, it was it was like a make or break race for him, where he had to have a lot of great momentum going into the off season, where he's still trying to figure out where he's going to have a job. We may not know that for a while, and for him to have Great practices, top five, every single practice session, qualifying top ten. 
you're like, wow, this is going to be shaping up to be a great weekend. And it did for three quarters of the race. He, I think he was as high as fourth in the running order and things looked to be going the right way until he ended up on his, one of the pit stops, the green flag stop around lap 62. And he ended up coming in. He switched from the standard black Firestone tires to the alternate compound, softer compound red tires. And as soon as he came out of the pits, it was a little bit slower stop, not by much, maybe a second or two. And he just seemed to get swallowed up and it just seemed like all of a sudden his car just got, had like a lot of rip current almost just shoved him and it just, he wasn't able to really gain any momentum. Got passed by a lot of guys out of the pits and then cautions fell terribly for him and he ended up finishing 14th, which I guess for the season overall isn't a bad showing for Hinch, but I know that's not what he would have wanted and it looked like to be a top five, top seven type of run for him throughout the day. But it just wasn't meant to be for Hinch, and we'll have to find out here soon where he'll end up being come next year. I told you guys I wasn't going to end on a bad note. Let's roll the tape and see, because since Alex Pillow always loved to eat fried chicken after he wins, and of course he had to go get some fried chicken at like a local place in Long Beach after, after the championship win, uh, we can't go without saying what Alex Pillow Happened to say, when I asked him what his favorite place to get fried chicken is when I asked him that at Laguna Seca. Take a look. What's the best fried chicken you've ever had? Uh, um, if you had to choose one. It's still, it's, it's still one place um, that I got to try after Road America win. Uh, that was in Indianapolis downtown. It's called the Eagle, and it's really good. So um, I, I am still studying, right? Like, I'm still try, uh, testing and... I'm making my notes, but uh, but I need to win some more to try some other stuff. Now, I personally have never had the Eagle in Indianapolis since I'm not from there, but I think Polo pretty much when your secondary, I guess, career is chicken, fried chicken judging, then I feel like we should all listen to Alex Polo, and I'm sure the Eagle is going to end up having a lot more business because of Alex and... Um, Next time I'm there for the Indy 500 or something like that, I'm going to end up having to try it sometime. So thank you, Alex Pillow, for giving us the most incredible insight and in all those analytics. That about wraps it up for today's episode of the Long Beach Recap. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next Wednesday, we'll, we will be talking about my Laguna Seca experience. I'll make sure to have all the videos, all the interviews, as much as I possibly can. I'll tell a couple side stories of interesting things that happened, and I think you guys will really enjoy it, so look out for that. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at Behind Catch. Just look that up. That's on the lower right-hand corner. And you can also listen on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys have a good day, and I'll catch you later.